Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast. My name is Michael Butterworth and I'm joined as usual by Dieter Renken, Editorial Director of Racing News 365. And Dieter and I are very pleased to be joined for today's podcast by Gunter Steiner, Team Principal of the Haas F1 team. Gunter, a very warm welcome to the show. We know you're a very busy man and we very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, hello to everybody and uh, glad to be here. Well, let's start by talking about Haas and the company structure, because it's a team that's put together a little differently from some of the others on the grid. Tell us how everything works together at Haas. Yeah, uh, sure, I will. Uh, I mean, as you say, we are a little bit different structures for uh, a reason uh, how we started the team uh, uh, in, in 2014. We actually started the team and then we competed in 2016 the first time. But what we have got, uh, uh, I, I start uh, uh, from the beginning, we have got our design team and aero team uh, based in Italy, uh, uh, exactly in Maranello. We've got about 100 people there. And then we have also some people from Dallara. Dallara is a, a manufacturer of race cars. I think a commercial race car, the biggest one now in the world. And we got about uh, 30 people working there on our behalf, which uh, in the high season, we ramp up uh, between 50 and 60. High season meaning November, December, uh, January, when the new car is uh, designed and developed. Uh, we are using the wind tunnel from Ferrari Maranello. So all that, uh, all that is done there. Then we have got uh, the administration in the United States where uh, uh, our license is American and uh, our finance department, the HR department and myself are based in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. We have got also a big machine shop there, obviously with Haas machines, with a lot of Haas machines. And uh, uh, they, 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 they are doing manufacture of all the metal parts or almost all the metal parts we need for the cars. Obviously, it needs to be shipped to Europe to, so we can assemble a car. And then we have got the, the race team, which is the people which travel uh, to, to the races, and uh, the uh, maintenance team uh, based in the UK, in Bambury. And uh, I would say there is about uh, another 80 people there uh, full-time, which work from, uh, out from there. So all our equipment and stuff which goes to the racetrack is based in the UK. So uh, it's very different to other teams, which have got normally everything under one roof, but... Uh, uh, this is how we are structured, and this, in the moment, is the best way how uh, how we how we conduct how, how we can conduct business. Obviously, Gunter, it's a world championship, and you're really taking the the word world to to an extreme. Um, but you're also uh, drawing a lot of parts, obviously legally, from Ferrari. Could you give us an idea of what you draw from Ferrari in terms of of hardware, please? Yeah, and, and you mentioned rightly, we do everything legally, Dieter. So. Uh, 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 what we buy is mainly all the mechanical parts you can buy by the FIA regulations from another uh, manufacturer, which is the suspension, the hydraulics, the transmission, obviously the engine, but that everybody is doing, or not all the smaller teams are taking them from a bigger one, uh, electronics, electrics, uh, we buy all that from Ferrari. And then what we do as a team, we develop the rest of it, which all the aerodynamic uh, parts, you have to develop yourself as a manufacturer uh, as, uh, in F1. And we do that all ourselves. So if we were to, to describe it as um, the wetted parts, in other words, what one can see outside is all your own stuff. 
And then what's under the skin, um, a lot of that is is what the, the FIA calls a an, an unlisted part, and therefore you're able to source that. So the engine, the gearbox, hydraulics, etc. Brakes obviously come from, from somebody like Brembo. Um, so you do all the, the external work, which obviously is also it, which is performance related because that's aerodynamic stuff. Correct. And also uh, what, what is part of the dynamic parts is the cooling system, which is uh, very complex in this uh, uh, in this cars with the uh, with the hybrid technology are uh, cooling a lot of uh, systems there. So that also we need to develop ourselves like radiators, all the coolers, all the oil coolers, all that stuff is developed as well by us. With reference to what you uh, were talking about first, Gunter, with the way that uh, your team is structured in, there's, you, you've got people in Maranello, you've got people in Banbury, you've got people in uh, North Carolina, and you're working with Delara as well. Is there any? Do you ever find any issues with the communication or logistics that make it more difficult than if you did have it all under one roof, like Ferrari, for example? Yeah, the, uh, obviously uh, it, it is. Sometimes it, you think you should have everything under one roof, but our business model. Again, it would be more difficult to have it under one roof how we do it. So we, we find sometimes some uh, difficulties, like, uh, as you say, logistically. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult, especially uh, uh, when, you, when you build a new car in the beginning of the season. But we are working on it to streamline it. Then uh, one thing just to explain is uh, when the pandemic came along in 2020, everybody was like, oh, we need to do now this video conferences and all that stuff. For us, it was like, Okay, but that's nothing new to us because we did that from, from the beginning. That is how we communicated between the different uh, uh, bases, you know, in the UK, uh, the States and Italy. You know, we just had video conferences. So for us, it was like, okay, but what's the problem with the video conference? We are doing this now since uh, six years. So the, uh, on one side, what, what the normal factory experienced uh, in 2020, we knew already how it works very well. Yeah, if I could just come in there, please, Michael. I remember visiting the um, the, the U.S. base in 2015. Gunter kindly invited me across there. And I remember walking into one of the rooms. It was a big um, sort of movie-type studio with a massive screen and, and chairs literally like you've staggered in rows uh, as you have in a movie house. And I said, what's this? And, you know, I sort of sarcastically thought maybe on Friday afternoons I'll go and rent a video or something. And he said, well, this is how we're going to communicate. And I remember being incredibly impressed. And I think that sort of foresight uh, certainly paid off under the um, under COVID. Well, let's talk about uh, 2022 now, Gunter, because Haas had a few pretty lean years. Uh, 2021 obviously didn't score any points at all. But then the first race of 2022, you got your best result in, uh, in about three and a half years, since Austria 2018, I believe. How do you evaluate uh, this year so far for Haas? Uh, uh, highs and lows, Michael. You know, uh, it is like, uh, I start with the, with the good things. I mean, as you said, we had very lean years and we cannot get leaner than zero points uh, uh, in 21. So uh, we were very down and a lot of people doubted that we will ever come back, you know, uh, uh, F1 is used to have a, a backmarker team, but they always said last year, we are not here just to participate. And then coming back in 22 with the result we had in Bahrain uh, was very good for the team mainly because a lot of people uh, last year uh, had difficult to, to, to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But then I always told them, guys, uh, 80% of you are the people which finished fifth in the championship in 2018. So don't give up, just keep going. We know why we are where we are in 21 and we know where we want to go in 22. And uh, fortunately, or uh, because of the hard work uh, uh, of the design and aero department, we got a good car out there for, for this year and uh, we bounced back. 
you know, obviously the next question of you will be, Michael, yeah, you bounce back, but then you fall down again and it's an up and down. I think what we, are, what we need to work now on that is to get, uh, to stabilize our performance. You know, we, we had the first two good, then we had uh, five or six races, not so good, then we had again good races, now we had again a few bad races. So we need to find a, a happy medium there. Uh, Gunter, how much of these sort of ups and downs, the um, sort of swings and roundabouts are due to the new regulations, which makes it very difficult to, to understand the cars for all uh, circuits, under all weather conditions, etc., etc. plus, of course, the new tyres? Absolutely, it has to do something with it, Dieter, but uh, there is other people out there which deal a lot better than us with, uh, than us with it. So we need to uh, uh, put ourselves in the position that we are prepared for all, all the things you said. I mean, making the tires work is the most difficult one. If we get the tires in the window, we run pretty good. If you're outside of the window, uh, uh, it, it's not so good, but uh, it, it's learning and we just, need to, we, we just need to keep on working hard that, uh, uh, that we get when we get to the racetrack on a Friday, that, that, that we are there where we want to be, because as you maybe could see on, in FP1s and FP2s, uh, quite a few times we struggled a little bit. We were at the back and then we rebounds on Saturday, but we lost already a day of where we look for performance. We just put ourselves in the mix uh, on, uh, on, for Saturday morning. So we have to work on that. And I think that is our, uh, our biggest area we need to work on, because I still think the car is, is pretty good in general, what we developed uh, uh, for this year. Talking about developing the car, Gunter, it was only very recently that you actually had your first big update on the 2022 car. Before that, you'd hardly had anything at all on it in the first half of the season. What have you got planned to keep developing on it for the rest of the year? Uh, for the rest of the year, it will be very little we develop because uh, we focus already on the 23 car since, uh, since a few months. We still do some little work on the 22 car, but uh, again, we're looking always a little bit forward because... Uh, Obviously, what you learn for this year, you carry on in next year because the regulations don't change. It was not like from 21 to 22. But uh, we have got uh, our site on 23 uh, in the moment. So we, uh, we developed this upgrade uh, and, then, and then we produced it. And maybe we come with a few small parts, but nothing big uh, uh, for this year anymore. Uh, Günther, if we look at a sort of a mid-year or mid-season report on the drivers, how, how do you rate Mick and, and Kevin? I mean, Kevin came back and uh, I think he's doing uh, what we expected him to do. Obviously, uh, it's never good enough. As, as you know, Dieter, um, uh, you always need to do better. That's my opinion about it. And, but he's solid. He's doing a good job. And he brought us back in that area, that, uh, in that place that we feel confident now that we can move forward. With Mick, he had some ups and downs uh, uh, the year. You know, the two big accidents, obviously, uh, you know, they, they were a big damage and also a big risk because... Uh, luckily, the cars are very safe, but uh, uh, we need to avoid them in the future. And then uh, the two races in, in uh, Silverstone and, and Spielberg in Austria was very good, uh, in my opinion. But it's a little bit up and down, but in the end, we have to see how he does the rest of the season. Uh, you know, normally he's going uh, where the team is. If, if Kevin is back, he's back, you know. And if Kevin is going very strong, uh, he can follow. So we need to wait a little bit before make a, a, a judgment. Yeah, talking about uh, next year, Gunter, um, we understand that Kevin is under contract. What's Mick's situation? Uh, because is his, is his seat at Haas dependent on uh, a decision by Ferrari, whether or not they want to keep him in their programme? No, it's not dependent on uh, uh, solely on Ferrari. It's a joint decision we take with Ferrari. You know, there is nothing uh, uh, unilateral. Uh, and uh, 
we always decided to drive after the, after the European races in the past, and we will do this year. Obviously, uh, uh, we start to talk about what what is best for us to, to do, but uh, we want also to see how Mick is doing in the in, in the next few races. Is the fact that uh, that uh, Fernando Alonso has now been confirmed by Aston Martin does that give you greater clarity? Because there was obviously talk that Mick could be heading to Aston Martin. So does this give you a further option for next year? I don't really know what, what Mick is planning. As I said, we have not spoken about the drive for next year with Mick. Uh, he hasn't spoken to us and we haven't spoken to him. We, we want to see what is happening. So, uh, uh, you know, this Aston Martin thing, it happened all very quickly. So nobody had even time to uh, to think about it. As you said, it was rumored that he could replace Vettel, but that rumor went away pretty quick uh, when, when, when Fernando signed. I don't know, it was yesterday or two days ago. So uh, it never really came into mind. Uh, you, you know, I, I didn't look at, the, or we didn't look at the other people, what they were doing. We'll, we'll talk about the wider driver market shortly, if you don't mind. But getting back to Mick, as you said, he's had a few fairly uh, hefty accidents. And obviously, every accident comes with, with um, repair costs. Uh, the word in the paddock is that your repair costs have been higher than anybody else. What does this do for your development rate, et cetera, under the budget cap, Gunter? Uh, yeah, uh, I think with that statement, you're right. I think if, if, if you combine a few teams, they didn't have as much damage as we had. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it's <laughs> never good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you're running a business, uh, you have got the situations where you where, where, where you get into, which you have to sort out. And uh, we, we fortunately have got a bunch of good people uh, uh, that we still could do the development because I think other teams would have said, oh, we don't, uh, we don't do an upgrade because of that and blame blame somebody for it. We didn't want to do that. You know, we wanted to find solutions that we still get the developments on the car, which we planned before or b- before the second accident happened. The easy, uh, easiest thing for me would have been, I'll stop that and just say, uh, uh, we, we, uh, we cannot do it because we had too much damage. No, uh, uh, there's a lot of people working. They are trying to find solutions with me and we found them and uh, uh, we just keep on going as we planned. Obviously, we need to find measures where we save the money and uh, uh, we do. So uh, we manage parts better and, and we just work harder. That is how we overcome the situations. Obviously, uh, Mick had a bit of a difficult start to the year with the two crashes that we just spoke about. And uh, after Monaco, you you were publicly quite critical of him having crashed and, you know, the, the repair bills that keep mounting up. After that, he seemed to improve a lot. He obviously got his first points on the board, finished sixth in Austria, had that battle with Hamilton. Did you notice a change in Mick after sort of Monaco with the races immediately onwards? Because looking at it from the outside, it almost looked like he was a completely different driver. I hope you don't jinx it, Michael, you know, because <laughs> fingers crossed that he has not got uh, uh, more damage going forward. No, but you're right. After Monaco, it, 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 it was like, it, it, I don't know if he took less risk. Uh, I could see some change in, in, in Canada where uh, he seemed to be uh, being more confident and more relaxed about things, you know, not always trying to do, uh, uh, you know, more than it was possible, maybe, you know. It's difficult to see in drivers, you know, they put poker faces on, but I just could see in, in, in Canada he was pretty, I wouldn't say relaxed is maybe the, the wrong word, but he, he felt a, a lot uh, 
easier. Uh, and then the results came in Silverstone and, uh, and Austria, uh, which was good. So hopefully we can keep it like this because one thing, we want that Mick succeeds because if Mick succeeds, we succeed, you know, because he's part of the team. We always forget we speak about the driver, but the team wants them to succeed. And, you know, my reactions after Monte Carlo, uh, obviously they, they, they were quite direct, but uh, I think that was the best way to do it instead of saying, yeah, it's all good, there's not a problem, you know. No, I, I mean, everybody was quite uh, uh, pissed at what happened because, as I said before, it's not only the damage, it's also the risk, you know. You cannot take risks which uh, are not worth the take, not for yourself and not for the budget and not for the car. Gunter, looking towards the, the rest of the season, how do you see that unfolding, particularly for, for Haas F1 team? Oh, uh, difficult to predict. Uh, this year, uh, each race, the midfield, somebody is in front of it and somebody is at the back of it. And it goes, uh, as I said, from race to race different. And hopefully we can get some more points, defend seven plays, and maybe even if we have got a good run, uh, uh, trying to go for sixth, very difficult. But uh, if, if you don't have, uh, uh, if you don't aim at something, you would never achieve it. You know, I say you cannot just luck into something uh, like this position. So for sure, first thing is defending seventh and second is attacking sixth. Well, Gunter, there were rumours in recent years when Haas was going through a bit of a difficult time that uh, Gene Haas might pull out of the sport or might sell the team. But with the budget cap now in place and with Haas doing a bit better, is Gene committed to F1 for the foreseeable future? Absolutely. You know, as you say, there was uh, a lot of rumors from a lot of people uh, that Haas is for sale, Haas is bankrupt. There, there was never uh, an issue of being bankrupt, you know. It's just like in 2020, uh, Gene wanted to see what the new regulations bring, uh, uh, mainly the financial regulation with the budget cap and the new money distribution. And once that was sorted, he, he was committed and he's committed to the team, you know. So uh, in the moment, uh, I mean, you know, also... Uh, uh, a lot of people want to buy or want to buy into an F1 team, so there wouldn't be we have got a, we, there wouldn't be a lack of interest to take it over. But Gene has no interest in the moment. He he wants to stick with the team. That's actually an ideal um, a stepping point for for the for the next thing, which is the wider Formula One um, environment. Where do you stand on the um, the late potentially late change on the um, the underbodies, for example, with the uh, the TD thirty nine and the aftermath thereof to prevent porpoising and bouncing? I mean, I, I, I have no more information where we are at in the moment, but uh, my stand is to, to change the regulation as, as dramatically as it was uh, suggested in that uh, TD. It's very late uh, in the year now. We ne from next week on, we have got two, two weeks of shutdown. Then. If you restart in September to develop this stuff, I don't think it's fair uh, uh, because we have done a lot of work already and you would do that one out already. If we need to find a compromise uh, 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 somewhere, which was suggested, obviously, the compromise, I'm okay with it because life is about compromises if you've got a lot of people involved. But the dramatic change, I do not think is needed anymore because the purposing, I wouldn't say has gone away, but I don't think it's anything dangerous uh, right uh, uh, for the drivers and uh, even Mercedes stated that they have no purposing anymore. Uh, we are, we are going to gather some data in uh, from Spa onwards and, and see what it says, what the data is. But I don't think it's no need to make such a drastic uh, uh, change to the, to, to the rules uh, uh, anyway. Are you concerned about the regulatory process? I mean, let's just have a look at Kevin. Two orange and black flags in, in uh, this year. 
Whereas I don't think Haas or any other team has had any orange and black flags in the last five years. Uh, the jewelry situation, all these sort of things. Are you concerned about the, the triviality of some of these, these matters? Yeah, I am, because especially as you mentioned, the, the black and orange, uh, I mean, we had one, I don't know where it was, and it was not needed there. And uh, uh, this time uh, in Hungary was absolutely no need for it. And uh, after, after the first time, it was agreed between the team managers and race control that race control would call up the team and ask what they are thinking about the damage on the car, you know, because the team knows the car better than uh, race control will ever know them, how it is constructed. And that didn't happen, you know, which was very disappointing. And you don't have a chance to even complain about it because Black and Orange tells you you need to come in next time by the, the, the pit lane, you know. So you haven't got even a chance to react. And it was complete denied uh, that that was ever agreed with and uh, which uh, obviously I will bring it up uh, after the summer break that this is not correct and when we inspected the broken part of it uh, th there was no need at all for it there was no danger that this part would fall off or uh, could injure anybody and uh, uh, I think it destroyed our race again and after a while that gets old you know I, I, I think it was a wrong call uh, obviously we need to go to the, to the motions uh, why it was done it, it will never fix that it was done and destroyed Kevin's race uh, in Hungary. And obviously with that uh, potential points and with that potentially money. Absolutely. It's always, I mean, uh, uh, that's what it is about because we were in a good position. We, 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 we got ourselves into, I think it was a 12th place, you know, and we had chances to go forward. But if you can need to come in at the wrong time uh, to change the nose, they not they not need a change of the nose. It's, uh, I, I don't think it's correct. So uh, for the benefit of our listeners, we're talking to Gunter roughly 24 hours after Alpine announced that they had, uh, well, that Oscar Piastri would be driving for them in 2023. And then a couple of hours later, Piastri himself released a statement saying that that wouldn't be the case. And of course, all this is coming after Fernando Alonso uh, announced that he would be leaving Alpine to go to Aston Martin for 2023. Uh, now, Gunter, Formula One is often full of surprises, but uh, I wonder what, how you saw this whole situation. Are you surprised by the way that this is all playing out? Yeah, I, I, I'm more surprised. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, was no, uh, it was an open secret that uh, Fernando was talking to Aston Martin and Fed left, and uh, I was not uh, really surprised about that one, you know, but uh, uh, the, the Piastri situation I was came a little bit of a surprise because it was a little bit of a deja vu of what is happening in the States with uh, Chip Ganassi uh, in IndyCar, you know, with Palou. You know, it seems like he uh, 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 took that lesson and tried to do the same. I don't know. I mean, we all speculate, speculate where he wants to go, obviously, because there's not a lot of seats free, but I don't want to get involved in that speculation and things. But yeah, I was a little bit surprised because Piastri was seen as a uh, uh, as an Alpine driver, in my opinion, you know, they brought him up, they brought him to this level and helped him. So uh, I thought uh, for sure he will be end up uh, driving the, uh, uh, in F1 after Fernando left. But uh, I think there is more behind it, but I don't have any, uh, any details of it. Uh, Gunther, what, let's call it the Fiestri situation, if you don't mind. Um, if we look at this Fiestri situation, do you think that the FIA contract recognition board is up to actually resolving this speedily and in a hurry if it gets to that stage? I don't know exactly what uh, uh, contract uh, Piastri has got with Alpine. So it's difficult uh, to say uh, uh, what the CRB uh, is going to do uh, about it. 
And of course, Gunter, Haas are no stranger to uh, contractual issues with drivers over the last 12 months or so. Um, just wondering, well, what's the latest on the, the Mazepin legal situation? How, how do you expect that situation to resolve itself? Uh, I don't know. And I, I don't like to speak about that, Michael, because it's, it's with our legal team. So everything, uh, what is said, you know, uh, will be used. So uh, uh, in the moment we are working on it and we will resolve it. Okay, well, I think um, that that about wraps it up. We've got to the end of our 30 minutes. Uh, Gunther, thank you very, very much indeed for your, your input, your insight, your availability. It's really been very illuminating. And uh, we thank you and we wish you a very, very good um, summer break. Do you actually take a break or is your mind still on what's going on and uh, this, uh, this little trick to do that or whatever? Or do you literally switch off totally? No, no. You, you always think. It gives you time to think, you know. Uh, uh, when, when nobody is calling in, or you don't have to deal with the daily, uh, with the daily grind, you know, it gives you opportunity to think and to 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 build up what you're gonna do uh, when we go back to work, you know, to digest some of the things, to think them a little bit through what you want to do uh, uh, in the future and things like this, you know, with, uh, with the team. It gives you time to think because what the biggest problem is at a job in F1, you're always so so much under pressure, so you, you never can really lean back and think things through properly, you know, it gives you time to speak with people and all these good things without without the pressure that you have to go to the next meeting. In in closing, although we're sort of 60% of the way through the season, we've got about 40% of races left. We don't have any standalones left. Could it be that the rest of this year will be even more arduous than the first part? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, it, it will be, but it will go so quick that we don't even realize it how, how hard it was. I mean, it's one of these say if you have just back to backs, it's just like uh, a grind, you know, but it goes so quick when you go from race to race that all of a sudden we will be sitting here with you at Christmas and saying, wow, do you remember when we talked about it? It, it seemed to be yesterday because time flew by. Do you remember when I called you at Christmas 2013, I think it was? Yeah, I remember that when I was driving my truck up to Indianapolis, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I said, you're starting a new team. And you said, oh, Dieter, I'm going to have an accident. Don't talk to me. I'll call yeah. you back. <laughs> it was snowing, yeah. It was not snowing over the West Virginia mountains, you know. Yeah. And then this this uh, journalist calls you up and says, I believe you're starting a team with Gene yeah. Haas. Exactly, yeah. Great memory. Thanks, Gunter. Thank you, guys. Thank have you, Gunter. That was, that was fascinating. Very best of luck for the rest of the year. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Michael. Thank you. And you. Bye, guys. And here at Racing News 365, we'll have a podcast for you every week until the Belgian Grand Prix on August the 28th with a variety of special guests and special features for your listening pleasure throughout F1's summer break. That's it for this edition of the RacingNews365.com podcast. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back very soon indeed.